whether it's about footballers and their managers, or politicians and their policies, or celebrities and their much publicised failures, or even just friends and family. People rush to point out mistakes and to condemn others for their failures. And these days with news programmes asking for our opinions, or TV talent shows asking us to, to, to call in to vote, or with social media such as Facebook and Twitter allowing people to do this with incredible cruelty and viciousness, with a feeling of anonymity, it seems like judging others has become a universal hobby. It seems like everybody is doing it. And unfortunately, the church, at times, has been no different from this. In fact, being judgmental is one of the major criticisms levelled at Christians. The research group Barna has commissioned a number of of studies uh, of 18 to 29 year olds in in the United States. And they've surveyed these people and the results that have come out of it haven't been really encouraging at all. Among those who didn't attend church, 87% described the church as being judgmental. 85% as hypocritical. 91% as anti-homosexual. And 70% as insensitive to other people. And even among those who do attend church, over half of them thought Christianity was judgmental and hypercritical. And from both of those groups, those who do attend church and those who don't, the image that they chose to best represent Christianity was the pointing finger and the megaphone-wielding protester. That's what they thought encapsulated what they thought Christianity was about. But this is not how we are supposed to be. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called us to be different in our our judging. So we're going to read this passage uh, this morning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 down to verse 6 today. So these are the words of Jesus. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Do not judge. These days it's probably one of the most quoted Statements of Jesus. But I think it's also one of the most misquoted and misunderstood statements. So what does it really mean 
when Jesus tells us not to judge. Well, Jesus wasn't talking about the role of a judge or magistrate in a law court. This is not telling us that we should just dispense with our whole legal system. This is about the world of personal relationships, not the legal courts. But neither was Jesus saying that we should just turn a blind eye to other people's faults. That we should just mind our own business and refuse to make any decision about right and wrong or truth and error. As we've seen throughout this sermon, Jesus told us to use our critical powers and our descendants. From this passage, he's teaching us to be different from the world. To be different in our righteousness from the Pharisees. To be different from others in their attitudes, in their ambitions, in their worship, in their treasure. And even in this chapter, he warned us, do not give dogs what is sacred. And then later on he says, watch out for false prophets. So before we can put those commands into practice, we clearly need to be able to recognise those who fit those descriptions. So Jesus wasn't abolishing the law courts. Nor was he trying us, telling us never to distinguish between good and evil in other people. Instead, Jesus was teaching us about that we shouldn't judge other people harshly. If we have trusted in Jesus, if we have chosen to follow him, then we mustn't be the kind of person who eagerly looks for opportunities to criticize others. We mustn't be the kind of people who enjoy pointing out other people's mistakes and failures. Or who rush in to ridicule and condemn them. We don't have the authority or the ability to set ourselves up as the judge and jury and sit on jud- in judgment on everybody else. That's not our job. So why not? Why should we not join with the rest of the world and just sit in judgment on others? Well, first of all, it's dangerous. Do not judge. Or you too will be judged. A number of years ago, the Bishop of New York was sailing for Europe in a transatlantic ship. But when he got on board, he found out that another passenger was to share his cabin with him. So after going to see his accommodation, he came up to the purser's deck and asked if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that he never usually asked for this privilege, but he'd met the man that he was sharing with. And judging from his appearance, he wasn't the kind of guy you could trust. That's all right, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take care of them, the purser said. The other man, he's been up here as well, and he's left his for the exact same reason. If we judge and condemn other people, we shouldn't be surprised if we end up being the victims of that same judgment. In the same judgment, in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. But it's even more dangerous than that illustration gives. Because it's not just that other people will be critical to us if we are of them. 
It's that God will judge us in the same way as we have judged other people. This is what James warns. James chapter 2, for example, verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. If people mercilessly judge others, then they are in danger of facing that same judgment themselves from God. Now, of course, if we have trusted in Jesus, then our sins have been forgiven, as we've been thinking about this morning, as far as the east is from the west, so far as our our transgressions have been removed from us. We have been declared right before God, and so we will never be condemned for our sin. Jesus has taken that punishment in full. But still as Christians, there is a judgment day coming. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? Paul writes, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ as Christians. Not to determine our salvation, because that's already done through Jesus. That's already sealed through his work on the cross. But it's to give an account of how we have lived for him and to be rewarded for our service. And on that day, if we're really going to be honest this morning, then we also need God's mercy and grace. Because none of us have fully lived up to God's call in our lives. None of us have fulfilled God's plan for our lives in full. None of us have completely lived in the truth. We have continued to fall short of God's standard in our life. But how could we expect mercy and grace from God if we so mercilessly judge our brothers and sisters in Christ? So this is the first reason why we mustn't judge others. Because one day we'll be judged in the same way that we have judged others. But we should also avoid this. Because usually we get it wrong. When we judge others, we rarely see clearly. Anybody remember this certain dress? Last February 2015, a photo of this dress went viral. The bride's mother sent this photograph of the dress that she was planning to wear at at her, her daughter's wedding. However, everyone who saw this dress disagreed as to the colour of it. Some people, for some reason, saw it as white and gold. Other people saw it as black and blue. And the discussion spread across social media with, if you could believe it, 10 million tweets about this dress in the first week. Obviously people had nothing else to say that week. And a scientific study was even commissioned which concluded that 57% of the people saw it as blue and black, 30% saw it as white and gold, 10% as blue and brown, and 10% could switch between any of the colour combinations. And for some reason women and older people were more likely to see the dress as white and gold. 
It's just one crazy example. <laughs> Blue and black is officially is what they say it is. Yes. But it's just one example of how our perception on things are different. If you think of it, if you can't even be trusted to judge accurately the colour of a dress, how much less can we be trusted to judge a person's attitudes and actions and character? Like in our video clip right at the start, we don't see things clearly when we judge other people. We don't see the whole picture. We don't understand what is in, pers- in our somebody's, someone's heart. We don't know the motives and their intentions. We don't know their thoughts. And so we often get it wrong. Jesus pictured this with, in this passage with the, the humorous story of us trying to perform the delicate operation of picking a tiny speck of wood out of our friend's eye when all the time there's this great big plank in ours. You're not going to see clearly enough to perform that operation. We're guaranteed to do more harm than good. And it's a picture of how our faults, our sins, our wrong attitudes, our desire to put other people down, or our jealousies, or our basic limitations as a human being, prevent us from judging somebody else accurately or safely. So don't judge, because we're going to be judged. And our judgment is often wrong. But this also shows us that if we insist on doing this, if we insist in being the judge and jury of those around us, then we're really just being hypocrites. How can we set ourselves up as the judge and jury of other people when we ourselves are guilty? Jesus said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in yours? It's so hypocritical to be so concerned about the faults in other people when we have absolutely no intention of dealing with the faults in our lives. I think one of the most powerful examples of this from the Bible is in the life of King David. I'm sure many of you know this incident very well. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, one of his soldiers. And then to cover it all up, he orchestrated events so that Uriah would be killed in battle. But when the prophet Nathan came to tell him a story about a rich man having stolen a poor man's sheep, David was outraged. He said, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this deserves to die. He was full of righteous indignation at this theft. Until Nathan told him, you are the man. You are the one who stands guilty. And it was only then that David saw the plank in his own eye. And the hypocrisy of him sitting in judgment on somebody else but he was so guilty before God. 
So whenever we harshly judge other people, we forget that if it were not for God's amazing grace and the cross of Jesus, then all of us would be guilty and deserving of hell. None of us stand righteous in our own actions, in our own record. And so we must not judge others. It's not our job. We've no right. Only one person has the ability and the authority to judge our hearts, our words and our actions. And of course that is God. Paul again in Romans chapter 14. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are God's servants. They serve God and so it's God that they have to please, not us. So they're, an- they're answerable to him and not to us. So we've got no right to judge them. And really that's a great encouragement. It should be such an encouragement to remember this for us today. Because unlike other people, God is not only completely just and will judge us fairly. He's also completely loving. And he will always be gracious to us. And so Paul continues, And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what anybody else says about us. It doesn't matter what they think of us. It doesn't matter what they say to us or about us. Because really it's only God's judgment that matters. And God has promised us as his children that we will never be condemned because God's grace is sufficient for us. So this morning, let's lay down the wag and the hammer Step from behind the bench and resign as judge and jury of other people. And let God do his job. But this doesn't mean that we should always ignore other people's faults and just leave them to sort out their own life. Jesus wasn't here telling us that we should lead independent lives. And just mind your own business, no matter what mess or problems our fellow Christians get into. Or the people that we care about get into. Instead, Jesus taught us this, so that you will see clearly to remove that speck from your brother's eye. We are not to judge Other people. But we are to try to help other people. To remove those obstacles to fulfilling God's plan and and purpose in their lives. Don't judge, but help. So how can we do that? Well, first of all, we need to do this hesitantly. We need to do it slowly. Because dealing with the other person is not the first thing that we should do. Instead, Jesus said, first, take the plank out of your own eye. 
Helping other person, that person, is a delicate operation. More damage could occur by rushing into things. So you need to go slowly. And we need to start by self-examination. Questioning our attitudes and our actions. Confessing our sin to God. Repenting. Receiving His forgiveness. Holding on to the promise of this verse that says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Only when we've dealt with our own sin, the plank in our own eye, only then are we ready to turn and try and help somebody else. Secondly, Jesus said that we should do this humbly. Because although there's a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and that is a big problem, of course, there is a plank in ours. There's a speck of sawdust in his eye, but there's a plank in ours. Now clearly that doesn't mean that only the worst among us could help. As if you have to be the worst kind of sinner you could ever imagine in order to help somebody else. But it does mean that this is how we should see ourselves. Because usually we see ourselves the other way around, don't we? In pride, we often magnify the other person's sin and minimize ours. They are the worst person ever, but we've only made little mistakes. They are a really terrible Christian and they're just walking away from God and we're just stumbling a little bit and we've just got a few problems to sort out. But Jesus wants us to have the humility to see things the other way around. To, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. How do we do that? Well, just as we've done in, in our time of communion, you need to come to the foot of the cross. Because when we've been to the cross, when we've seen Jesus' agonizing death for us, under the weight of our sin and our shame, And I think the only proper response is for us to accept that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You can't come to the cross and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. It just doesn't work like that. It's impossible to see Jesus dying for you and think like that. And so when we've received God's amazing love and forgiveness and grace, then we will offer help to other people. Not out of a position of of self-righteous pride. But from that place of humility, knowing that we are only a sinner saved by God's grace. And it's this humility that will help us to reach out to others with a tenderness and love that doesn't cause damage, but that helps. So Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him 
gently. But that verse goes on to say, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. If we are trying to help other people with problems and difficulties, then we need to do this carefully, because there are real dangers in this ministry. It's a, such an important ministry for us to be involved in, but there's a dangerous thing. We could be drawn into the exact same sin that we're trying to help somebody else out of. Or we could be drawn into pride and arrogance, thinking that we are so much better than they are. Or we could be drawn into that self-righteous condemnation that does nobody any good. But we should also be careful in this whole process because there is a danger that some people won't want to listen. Won't want to accept our help. In verse 6 of our passage this morning, Jesus said, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls before swine. The sacred and the pearls, they seem to uh, appear to represent God's truth. So Jesus is warning us that not everybody is going to appreciate the truth that we offer. Some people will persistently and completely resist the truth that we've shared with them. And so at some point, as a kind of last resort, when we've come to that point, then we need to decide to stop offering the truth. When Jesus sent out the twelve disciples on their first missionary journey, he told them that if anyone rejected them and their words, they should shake the dust off their feet when they leave. In a sense, it was he didn't want their rejection to hold back their urgent and crucial mission. When people reject you, shake the dust off and you go on. And keep on going on with that wonderful gospel. And when Paul preached in Pisidian Antioch and the Jews rejected the gospel, he said, since you reject it, we now turn to the Gentiles. Again, Paul's mission was so important that he wasn't going to let the Jews' rejection of this gospel stop him from sharing the gospel with anybody else. He was going to say, well, if that's your choice, I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to go to others who will listen. So the purpose of this command here, what Jesus says in verse 6, is to protect us and to free us. We don't need to go through life trying to give advice and help to everybody that we see doing anything wrong. Thankfully, that's not our job. Because if we try and do that, people will turn on us and they will tear us to pieces. Instead, we need to reach out to those who are ready to listen. Reach out to those who are willing to be helped. And who will benefit from our time and our care. So Proverbs 9 and 8 says, Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. We need to be careful and choose carefully which situation we walk into. Which person we try and help. Which, who we give advice to. 
This is what Jesus is calling us. Because what we're doing is seeking to help that person. So we need to use that discernment. I think it can only really come through the work of the Holy Spirit as he leads us. But if we do this, then we will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We will see accurately what's going wrong and what needs to be dealt with. And we'll be able to effectively take that speck out of our brother's eye and bring that relief and that clarity of vision to them. And so this is Jesus' purpose and his goal for us as we live in this world. Other people may criticise and condemn others to destroy their reputation and their standing and to make themselves look good in front of others. But as followers of Jesus, our role is to care for and to be concerned for others. And to help them to look good in front of God. So let's refuse to judge. Let's refuse to jump on that bandwagon and condemn. Instead, be willing to help. Hesitantly. Humbly. Carefully and effectively. So that we may all fulfill God's purpose for our lives.